it all comes down to this. The one thing. <laughs> um, real quick, any, any Uno fans? I, I, I will challenge you anytime, any place, any day. Don't worry about it. I'm terrible. You'll win. So it's totally fine. Uh, if we've never met, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, I, I'm so excited you're here in the building and online. Thanks for streaming with us. We're kicking off a brand new series called The One Thing. And we're going to go all summer long. And this is a series, um, it's aimed at the church. You'll find out in a minute as we go through the letter. But it's aimed at the church. But this is for everybody. This isn't just for church people. This is for the world. And it, it's so incredibly important that we decided we'll take a whole summer and we're going to march through this book. Now, I don't know what your experience has been like with the church, but for me, um, overall, it's been very, very positive. I grew up in the church. I was a church kid. I always joked that, um, you know, I was born and raised in it. And as soon as mom was in the hospital giving birth, the next Sunday, boom, I'm in the nursery. Like that's what it was. Mom worked part-time at the church. Dad was an elder. Um, and and that, that was kind of my life. Um, I didn't live fully in that bubble, but, but church played a vital role in my life. I am pro-church. I think it's the hope of the world. We usher in the good news of Jesus Christ. We disciple people. And I think there's nothing more important than the local church. Now, amen. I love it. Now, that being said, I will tell you this. I also have a little bit of church hurt. And what that means is not so much that the organization or um, the church at large has hurt me, but I have been hurt by people in the church. Um, I don't think it's the actual church organization that hurts people. I think it's actually individuals, and it's just, it's an easier, it's a quick shot just to blame the church at large. But I grew up, and, and here's my tension, I grew up um, in, in a church, and I got confused right around, I want to say late high school early college. Because here's what started happening. Um, I was reading my Bible, and I, I would read the words of Jesus and some of the New Testament letters. I'd read the book of Acts and go, wow, like this, this is the picture. This is, this will change the world. I mean, this, everyone needs to know this. And then I had my church experience, and I went, I mean, it's close, but one of these things is not like the other. You know what I mean? Like, I... <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is there's some room for growth. And, and I would read the words of Jesus and go, wow, this is really important to Jesus. This is a big deal. We, we really need to, to um, anchor in and hold on to, to this, excuse me. Uh, and then in my church, we, we didn't always talk about that. We talked about some other things. And I went, oh man, what do we do? So I, being um, not one to ruffle feathers or anything like that, just want to keep cool, calm, collective, not, not mess up the calm waters. Uh, I started asking questions. <laughs> And that got me into a little bit of trouble from time to time. Because no one likes to really hold up a mirror and go, ah, I might be wrong. I might need to, I might have room for improvement. So real quick, can we just kind of disarm all of ourselves? Can we just raise our hands if we think we have room for improvement just as individuals? Okay, and elbow the person next to you who did not raise their arm. Um, that might be something you need to improve upon. Perhaps group participation, you know? So, um... This is a big deal, and so it became a problem for me, and, and like I, I've shared a, a couple times, I went, I went to college and majored in youth ministry, minored in religious studies, and then I, I loved it so much, I went into graduate school. So I spent a lot of time with professors, most of them great, some of them, eh, you should retire, but most of them great. 
Uh, I don't know. Sorry. I don't know where that came from. But, but I, had, I had one particular mentor that would, would mentor me. And um, a mentor that would mentor me. That's what they do. So I, I was there. I was in his office. And I was so frustrated because I'm like, okay, the church in America is known for these things. And I read the church in the book of Acts. And it says that they met together constantly. They had everything in common. They're worshiping together. They got along. And I see like we've got all this fighting over here and disagreements. And so we're going to, church is dividing. And we're going to start uh, other denominations and other churches. And you can read these books, but you can't read those books and listen to those people, but not these people. And I'm like, ah, what do we do? And I looked him in the eyes and I said, this is a problem. Does anyone else see this? And I want to read to you a quote that he read to me. I've since uh, heard John Maxwell say it on a podcast, but he said this to me. He said, Steve, any idiot can find a problem, but it takes a wise person to find a solution to that problem. Now, in case you missed it, he was calling me an idiot. And I said, I think we need to go, the church needs to go back. I think we need to go back to Acts chapter two. I mean, it's amazing. He said, Steve, this is a terrible idea. And I went, uh, hmm, come again, what? He said, you don't ever wanna go back to the church in the first century. It was a disaster. I'm like, what do you mean, Acts chapter two? And he said, yeah, Jesus told them to be witnesses. He said, go throughout all the world and you need to share the gospel. And what did they do? They hunkered down. So then God allowed a persecution and they went, ah, we're being persecuted. And then they scattered and then they became witnesses. And Steve, start reading all the epistles, the things that John and Paul and Peter and, and all those guys, the things that they read. Do you know what those letters are? They're solutions to a messed up church. All of them, all those New Testament letters that you love, Steve, and you're like, this is the value. They're putting out fires because church, uh, Paul would go and plant a church. He'd be there for like a month and then boom, he's off to another city planting other churches. He said, just read through them. The church in the first century is a hot, hot mess. It's like, Steve, we've come a long way, my man. Now he says, I will tell you this. We've come a long way. We got a long way to go because we all have room for improvement, right? Just to make sure, again, we're all on the same page. And so this summer, we're going we're gonna to look through a book, and we're all going to read it and hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, we have room for improvement. We can be a little bit better. And so my mentor said, just read the book of 1 Corinthians. Start there. You'll see how messed up this church is. So if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. That's going to be our book all summer long. We'll be journeying through 1 Corinthians. Now, here's what you need to know. This is a messed up church in a messed up city, and it is greatly used by God to the point that God said, this letter needs to be in our Bibles because it's going to benefit the church of today. It's going to benefit you and I. I want to give you a little context as you're flipping your Bibles or your, your Bibles are, are booting up um, into the church and the culture of 1 Corinthians. So, <laughs> here's what you need to know. This is a messed up place. It, it's kind of like a modern day Vegas. Um, you, you would go there for business. You would go there for pleasure. Lots and lots of money. Super sexualized culture. It's like this metropolitan area. And, and the idea in Corinth is that um, anonymity reigns supreme. And how many of you know, we all, we all live better when mom and dad are watching. Like when someone else is watching. When your boss is looking over your shoulder, you tend to type that email with a little bit more fervor. When your kids and mom and dad are in the room, you play nice. Well, thank you, brother. Here, why don't I share my slice of pizza with you? That way we can get along. You know what I mean? And then they leave and you're like, ah, food fight. It's the idea. So you go to Corinth, you go to Vegas, you let your hair down, you blow off some steam, you just, you do your thing, right? Same thing here. Now, this culture, like I said, is super 
super, super sexualized. There's temples everywhere filled with prostitutes everywhere and they're worshiping the great goddess Aphrodite. And so the idea was that in this community, in this culture, that every male would um, find themselves, they would venture off and do their duty. They would go to the temple prostitutes and at least once a year and they would, you know, do what they do. Uh, and the idea was that you want to appease the gods of fertility. So you want more cattle, you want more crops, you clearly want more money in the bank account, you want more, uh, more children, you want a big family so you can all provide for each other so you can take over more territory. The idea is this is how you get an increase and you level up throughout life. You go and you do this. Now hear me out for a second. That was as normal in that culture as you and I waking up in the morning and having a cup of coffee. Work with me for a second. At church, we serve coffee, don't we? How many of you had a cup of coffee before you came to church? How many of you had a cup of coffee at church? My people, that's what I'm talking about. So coffee in church is pretty, like, you know, it's a thing Christians do. And to the point, like, we've got great relationships with the company right across the road over there. It's like we, they know us on a first name basis. I go over there after services and I'm like, hey, <laughs> saw you here, see you there. Like, it's, it's something we do. Now imagine a guy named Paul shows up and he says, we're gonna start a church and amongst you know, all, all the teachings, he says, here's the deal. The way you've been interacting with coffee, totally wrong. You're like, I'm sorry, what? You can't do it. You can't do it. You can only drink coffee in this context. And you're like, ah, uh, like I drink coffee. My dad drinks coffee. Grandpa drinks coffee. Great grandpa drinks coffee. Like we're a coffee drinking family. Coffee has, has really helped our family. Like, it's blessed us. We've increased. Look at our bank account. Like coffee, look at our crops and our fields. Coffee is a big deal. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. I know you like coffee. I know coffee feels good. You're doing it wrong. It needs to be in this context. Some of you are going to leave church and get a cup of coffee and you're like, it doesn't taste the same anymore. I, don't, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. But, but on it, I, I'm just trying to illustrate a point. Like this was just normal as normal can be. This is society. And Paul goes and he starts this church and all of a sudden the rules change. You can understand that there's a bit of a learning curve that's gonna take place. And this was a disaster. I mean, a disaster of a church. So amongst other sexual issues that they had, they were so dysfunctional that people would sue one another. It's like, I'll see you on church on Sunday and then Monday I'll see you in court. They couldn't work it out, which by the way, is not a great reputation. Like, hey, come to our church, we'll sue you. Y'all come in. They would do that. Um, they showed favoritism to rich people during the church potluck, while the poor people got the scraps if they were lucky. They were divided into different camps as they talked about spiritual maturity and who was more superior than the other person. And I'm not gonna go through the whole list. We'll go through it throughout the summer. But you're gonna read this thing and go, maybe we don't wanna be like the church of the first century. And maybe we don't wanna be satisfied with who we are today. Maybe we could be better because we've got room to improve. And so this series is called One Thing. And as we go through this Sunday and throughout summer, we're gonna understand very clearly what this one thing is and how you and I are to apply it. So with all that being said, 1 Corinthians chapter one, are you there? Good, okay. Use your Bibles as a textbook. I mean, mark that thing up. It's gonna be really, really helpful. So here we go. This is Paul. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those being sanctified, being made holy or set apart in Jesus Christ and called to be his holy, again, set apart people. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then he says this, verse three, he says, grace 
and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two quick quick words that are so important. Grace means undeserved favor. Think blessing, think goodness, think love. Just It's undeserved. You just simply receive this. And then peace is this idea of like harmony and well-being. So Paul starts out this letter and he's basically saying, may God's undeserving favor and may love and goodness and blessing and grace, may that bring you well-being and harmony. That's a good way to start a letter. That's a good way to start church. Grace and peace to all of you. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Remember the context I gave you of this church? A disaster, not the model that you want to, you know, you don't want to be like it. Verse four, here's what Paul writes. He says, I always thank my God for you. I wouldn't start there. He starts with thanks because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Interesting. Paul leads in with grace. And so number one in your notes, grace is the great equalizer for every human being. I like to say that grace levels the playing field. It completely levels it. You and I, we all have different sins. We have a lot of this, a lot of our sins overlap, don't they? But grace, when we sit at the table, it just levels the playing field. We are now equals because, well, we've all sinned. But here's what's interesting about Christians. I I know we do this because I am one, and and I do and have done this. Um, You can walk with Jesus for a while, and then you get to the point where you start to feel um, spiritually superior. Now, we don't ever say that, but you can feel spiritually better than someone else because I've been walking with Jesus for so long that I no longer do those sins that that guy in the back does. After all, that's why they're in the back. Do you see how subtle that sends in? That it, it just, it kind of, it sneaks in there. And if we're not careful, we can just, we can start to feel spiritually mature. And it's, it's this idea of grace that just equalizes everything. It levels the playing field. Now, again, we probably don't use those words, but let me, let me illustrate how we do this, okay? Um, in the book of Romans, Paul writes to the Corinthians. He's also writing to the Romans. He says this in verse, or chapter six, verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the... Undeserved, undeserved favor, grace, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. Does it matter what sin? All sin. That equals death. But the grace, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is really good news. Amen? Amen. Here's what we do. We understand this and we hold on to this and we say, yes, amen, I love this and I agree. And if we're not careful, we can start to feel spiritually mature and what we do is we start creating a hierarchy of sin. And here's what this looks like. I just picked a couple examples. You may have other ones. Here's what this looks like. We have this idea that like, okay, well, pride, like, eh, we're American. You know what I mean? It's not that big of a deal. Like, yeah, I know it's a sin, but I mean, come, come on, we're prideful. And I'm not really prideful. Um, I'm just confident. I'm driven, I'm secure. And it's not really like bragging if it's true, right? It's just, 
Do, do you know what I mean? Like we walk in, we, we just, we spin it, we make it sound differently. So we go, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Except when you read the book of Proverbs, you understand that there are six things that God hates, seven that he detests. And pride, my friends, is on that list. It's actually a very big deal. We go, pride's not that big of a deal. Gossip, like it stings. I've been hurt by gossip, but I mean, you know. Come on, Lyndon. Like, <laughs> we do this. We do, and we, I know we do because we have nervous laughter about it. We go, ha, 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 because they are, ha, 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 and we all do it, so, you know, when in Linden, like, ha, could be any town. Certain towns have different reputations. By the way, see what I did? I just did hierarchies of different towns and communities. See how quickly that just goes? Um, Okay, the next one is slander. And what we do when we create our hierarchies is we then slander that town because we're better than them. I know we commit this sin, but they do those sins. So, you know. As if to say, by the way, as if to say God is more pleased with my sin than the next person's. What? For the wages of sin is? You see how that levels the playing field? But the grace of God, the gift of God levels the playing field because it's a gift. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. You just simply receive that thing. But we look around at other people because, again, we've got this hierarchy. And I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but for me, you could do all these things and we go, that's not nice. But if you did this one, it's like, whoa, whoa, we have a spot for you. You can go to those churches over there with those people, but here we're, we're holy. We're distinguished, we're set apart to the point where like people, the church is dividing over all these things. And I started growing up and maturing and went, oh, now we're not gonna talk about this because you know, hmm. we have all sinned in these areas. Sexual immorality, slander, gossip, and pride. We've all done them and they all deserve what? Death. It equals, it's the great equalizer. Grace levels the playing field. Sin levels the playing field. We look at each other and go, you're sinful, I'm sinful. You know what we need? A free gift from God. Here's what that gift looks like. This is a big change. It looks like this. It's coming. There it is. I think it looks like this. This is a flat circle. So great, you sinned over here and I sinned there. We got people that sin there and then the sin over here and it's just, there's no hierarchy. We just sin in different areas. Are you with me? Because all of it equals death. And God is so good and so loving. He says, my grace will cover all of that. So you know what we have in common? We are all sinners and we all need God's grace. So when I sit at the table with you and we look at one another and we have coffee and we hang out and have a good time and I'm not looking at you going, okay, what sins do you do so I can categorize you? I simply look at you and go, I'm in need of a savior and so are you. Isn't God good? Do you see how that just disarms like everything? This is incredible. I think this is a very big deal. The grace of God is the great equalizer for every human being. And when we do this, when we do this, our church is gonna be more and more diverse, which means we're gonna reach more and more people, which means we're gonna grow. Some of us, we won't like it. It will be uncomfortable. And we're gonna romanticize what it was in the past when we felt comfortable and quote unquote, our people were there. And we sang our favorite songs and we did our favorite thing. What we're doing there is we're hierarching because we have different people and we're laying things aside. And again, Jesus is going, I died for everything and everyone. It is, it is flat. Grace has equalized everything. Now listen, 
We can talk about the consequences of choices in sin. That's a different sermon. I'm simply saying, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners in need of a savior, and that savior's name is Jesus Christ, amen? So I suggest we move from, oh, let's go to the next one. We move from good Christians versus bad Christians, and can we just be Christians? We're all growing in different areas, but again, we just slide in that hierarchy, like I'm a good Christian, they're bad Christians, I mean, I'm glad they're Christians, but you know, they're not as good as I am, which is very prideful which is a sin, which is deserving of death, and Jesus has paid that price. You with me? Okay, this is foundational. That's why I'm camping out on it and spending so much time. Okay, verse 10, let's keep going. There's so much good stuff here. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's a tall order. That's a tall order. So number two in your notes, we're united in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This idea of being perfectly united means um, being knit together. I think, of that, I think of that Christmas sweater that grandma's knitting. Every single one of us, we're just pieces of fabric being knit together. We're unified. What unifies us? Our geography, whether or not we like coffee, how we vote. Nope, it's Jesus. He said, I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and we're all in need of a savior. That, that is what unifies us. And Paul says, perfect unity in mind, thought and the things that we say. We, we should be saying this more often throughout our lives. Again, when we do this, the church grows. We reach different people. We become very, very diverse. And I think this is beautiful because that's what it's gonna be like in heaven. We might as well start practicing and getting used to it on this side of eternity. This is a very big deal. Okay, keep going, verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. The church is arguing. Go figure, verse 12. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, well, I follow Apollos. And another says, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Do you hear the arrogance? They're like, well, my favorite teacher is Paul because, you know, rugged, passionate leader, like a church planter, a great evangelist. And other people are like, whoa, 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 I follow Apollos because he's a great order, orator. He just, he, he speaks so fluent, fluently. He knows the scriptures. He goes deep into the Greek. And it's just, oh man, there's no, there's no apologetic like Apollos. He's the best. And other people go, that's cute. But I follow Cephas, Peter. After all, he's a disciple of Jesus, and he said, I'm going to build my, my church on you, on this rock. Whew. Other people, that's nice. I followed Jesus. Amen. There's this, we do this today, by the way. I read these authors. Who do you read? Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. See how we do this? Here we go, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Listen to the humanity, verse 16. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. And beyond that, I don't really remember if I baptized anyone else. 
He knows there's like detailed people in the congregation, the fact checkers, they're like, oh, mm, Paul. And he's like, I, yeah, I know, I know. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, God's grace in Jesus Christ, not with wisdom and eloquence like Apollos, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The power of the gospel is simply the truth of the gospel, not in the voice that carries it. It's the message itself that is revolutionary. It will change the world. So number three, unity in Jesus Christ clarifies what's essential and what's important. Unity in Jesus Christ and his grace and that we all need it clarifies what's essential and what is important. Let me explain. Um, Did you catch what they were fighting over? Their favorite Bible teachers, their favorite authors, their favorite podcasts, certain types of churches that they like. Well, these ones is better than this one. So they fight over their favorite um, Bible teachers. As we read through this thing, you're gonna realize they're gonna fight over the Sabbath. They're gonna, they're gonna fight over meat sacrificed to idols. Can we eat this? We probably shouldn't eat this. And other people are like, well, it's pretty good. The seasoning on that is great. They fight over baptism. How do we do it? When do we do it? How often do we do it? They're gonna fight over marriage, singleness, and sex. We're gonna spend a thousand, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of chapters on it. It's a big deal. They fight over dress codes. You can dress that way, but not this way. What else do they fight over? So many more things. I'm not gonna tell you because we're gonna spend all summer going along through these things. You're gonna find out that this church in the first century here is a hot, hot mess. And we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Now, hear me out for a second. Are those things important? Yes, but they are not essential like the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying they're not important. They are important. You ready for a list of things that we fight over today? Again, we can get better, right? We all have room for improvement. Here's just a couple things, not exhaustive, but a couple things. Theological debates. Are you Calvinist or are you Arminian? Are you Wesleyan or are you Lutheran? Are you charismatic or are the charismatics would be like, you're just boring, you know, like, <laughs> what are you? Biblical interpretations and translations, like I'm NIV, you're NLT, NASB, the message. Can we read the message? Well, use the message for devotional time, but can we preach from it? I don't really know. And if, by the way, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just read your Bible. The good Lord's gonna use it and speak to you anyways, okay? Okay? Some of you, you're like, you're just stuck. You're like, ah, that's what I'm saying. It's important, not essential. Worship wars. Aren't you all glad we agree on what God's uh, favorite type of music is? It's the hymns, right? Everyone knows this. Uh, levels of sin, I just talked about that. That's a big deal. That divides like no one's business. Dress codes, alcohol in the fridge. <laughs> I worked at one church that was like, you, we're not gonna make you sign like a drinking clause, um, but you can drink in the privacy of your own home. And I went, I don't know that that's helpful either. <laughs> Do you know what? Like you can be secretive about it. Like, I, I don't know, but that, that, was, that was a big deal in that church. Quiet times, church styles, real quick on quiet times. They're, usually people that talk about quiet times, they're authors that are introverted and mourning people. <laughs> so, so like, it's great. <laughs> I, I wake up in the morning and rub my eyes. I won't tell you what time it is, but it's definitely not four o'clock in the morning. And Kurt... <laughs> God bless you, man. I love you, dude. It's like email, 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 email. I'm like, I'm just, just trying to get a cup of coffee, man. Now hear me out. Work with me for a second. I'm not a morning guy. 
Thank God Kurt is, because a lot of you are morning people. I also know some of you are like me. You're lunchtime people. You know what I mean? Get some food in your belly, get the blood flowing a little bit, and you're like, yeah, I, reading comprehension. Like, I, this is gold for me. Some of you are right before you go to bed people, which begs the question, and we probably need to have a policy about this, or at least a church vote. Can you have your quiet time at the end of the day? Because the day's done. Or perhaps maybe, could you have your quiet time at night because it's going to roll over to the next morning? You can sleep on it? Quiet times are important. What's more important is the grace of God, okay? And then church styles, I already talked about those. We like it loud, we like it soft, we like it exciting, we like it boring, we like it, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just wanted to make sure you're still with me. Um, what unifies us is the grace of God. We all need it. Every single one of us. When I look at you, I go, you need the grace of God. When you look at me, you're like, you definitely need the grace of God. <laughs> yes, I do. And the problem is, I'll get to this list in a second. The problem is people who do not attend church, they think that they need to clean their act up and then they will be welcome in the house of God. And I'm sitting here saying, y'all come in. You're just as screwed up as we are. We've got chairs for you. I'll send you the link. You can watch online. I just, this is so important to me because I, I know there are some people, you, this may be you online. You're watching online because you want the hope and you want the good news of Jesus Christ, but you don't feel welcome in the building. And I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it comes from us. And if so, I'm so sorry. That doesn't come from the God that we worship. This is huge because a lot of us, we've experienced this hierarchy of sin and we're towards the top. And what has been pounded and dumped on us is not the grace and unconditional love of Jesus Christ. It has been shame. And it, so many of us are living in the freedom of God, but we're not living in the freedom because we are weighed down by our shame because of a hierarchy. And I'm sitting here saying, Jesus loves you just as much as he does me. And I'm a professional because I'm on stage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sin. It all deserves death. Grace of God. We all received it. We do not earn this thing. We're united in the fact that we are sinners and we need the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't let everyone make you feel less than simply because your sin is different than theirs. <laughs> I'm telling you, people have left the church and probably even their faith because they were a sinner and they know they need grace. And some other saint forgot that they needed to show grace as well. There, there's a time and place for conversations on consequences of sin. That needs to be talked about. That's a different sermon. But I'm telling you, when the world thinks that they need to start acting a certain way so that they are allowed to show up at church, that's on us. We need to change that culture. Okay, that was a quick side note. Thank you. What's essential? This is not an exhaustive list either. I think these are essential. I think there's some more. But for the sake of time, here's what we got. Faith in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Bible study you got to read your Bible. I know you don't understand it. Aren't you glad we do church every week? You can ask people. You, you can learn how to do all these things. Making disciples of people who do not know Jesus is absolutely essential. The birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, essential. The church, essential. Jesus' return back to earth and ruling as king for all eternity, essential. And especially this. 
Essential. Essential. And the church can be built on a lot of things, but the foundation of every church has to be Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We need the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and it is our responsibility to share his love with everyone we come in contact with. There's a lot of things we can unify around, but I think we need to unify around this. This verse right here. For God so loved the world that he gave, sounds like grace to me, his one and only son, that whoever, meaning all kinds of people, all types, everybody, and that's very diverse, by the way, believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is essential. All the other stuff is important. But this is essential. This is the foundation. The church is built upon this. This is the message that the world needs to hear. And Christians, myself included, because I am one, anytime I start feeling more superior and self-righteous because my sin looks different than their sin, well, I've just committed the sin of pride, haven't I? And I need to remind myself that I, in fact, a sinner, and I still need the grace of God on my life. And I can't think of a better way to really underscore this point and to help us be unified together than for us to take communion. So I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. They're gonna lead us in a song. I'm gonna ask that we do two things in this moment, two things. The first one is, I want you to spend a moment in prayer and just say, God, is there anything that I have in the essential column that I might need to move and put in the important column? I have made this essential it's prevented me from doing other essential things. And ask him to reveal those things to you. Search our hearts, God. Reveal these things to us. And then the second thing is when you are ready, come up to the table. We've got it in the front, on the corners, and in the back. We have gluten-free options as well. We want everyone to be able to take communion. So you can grab it here and go sit back at your seats. And then I'm going to come up and I'm going to lead us together in taking communion. But right now, we're gonna focus on the Lord, his grace for each and every one of us. And we're gonna say, Lord, is there anything that's in the essential column that might need to be moved to the important column? So Father, in this moment, would you lead us? Would you speak to us? Would you reveal things in me that ultimately, God, when it comes down to it, it, it's just my preference and my opinion and the style that I like. And while that's important, Lord, there may be a couple things in me that really aren't essential. They're just important. So Father, help me distinguish between the two. Help us as your church to always lean into the truth of John 3.16. Would you be united? Would we be united in the fact that there's a world who is lost and needs your son, Jesus? I pray that that would be the foundation. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Christ. And the church said, Spend a couple moments with the Lord, and when you're ready, you can come on up and receive communion.